Hello and uh, welcome back to Future Talk with myself, Sam Kluska and Harry Moy. We're going to try and change the format, keep it a bit exciting. So um, this week we're just going to be talking about um, what excites us the most about the future. So we might be going back over a few things we've already talked about, but perhaps in a bit more depth with a little bit more focus. So yeah, Harry, hello, welcome back. Thank you, Sam. It's been uh, yeah, quite a while since I last spoke to you. Yeah, yeah. How you been? Good, good few hours. Yeah, yeah. These past few hours have <laughs> been, been all right. I have. Uh, I've been playing around with some solidity development during the yep. during the time. And, oh, uh, is is this our announcement now? Are you going to announce it that we're right, uh, the official announcement that we're entering Hack Africa? We are entering Hack Africa. Africa. Yeah. Yeah. The, well, uh, I mean, you know, from from uh, last week's episode, not last week's episode, two weeks ago's episode of about DeFi, uh, we thought that we'd give it a go and. and build our own thing and so we're we're learning solidity the programming language for ethereum and then hopefully we're going to you know hack africa <laughs> it'll be interesting won't it i think um there is there's many different complexities with DeFi, and what better way to learn it than uh go biddle in it as they say as yes would say yes yes how have you been how was your shopping trip yeah lengthy long hate it that's another thing that could be automated well, I mean, we've just come off the episode of... Uh, well, you can get people to just deliver your shopping for you. Yeah, I know, but then I don't like the catalogue searching on it. It's uh, it's not as good as walking around the shop, unfortunately. What do you but, mean? Like, scrolling through the menu on your phone is just not as good to see the selection. Like, I don't, I don't always... I think it's really good if you know what you're going to buy, but if you wanted to browse, like, you're fucked. Cause... Yeah, but that is going to waste time, though, by, like, browsing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, true. But it's the other people, you know. This is this is what annoys me the most, especially with like a weekend shop. I really get frustrated. Yeah, by it's it. annoying when you've got like the old people that are there, and it's like I think my dad get very angry. Like he fully believes that old people shouldn't be allowed out at the weekends because his view is they've got all week to do it. Yeah. So why can't they just do it during the week <laughs> and then leave the weekends to to the people that've got to work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think there's definitely um, there's problems to solve with it, and actually that does lead quite nicely onto what excites me the most about the future. I was, do you know what? I was actually just thinking the same thing. <laughs> Were you? <laughs> I was picturing you um, with, with your headset on and, uh, and, and your online shop is you browsing the, the supermarket. With yeah. The VR headset on and picking stuff up. And, mm. doing that. and yeah. And so I guess that is, that is my, the thing that excites me the most and like even, um, in like the short term, like virtual reality, augmented reality, um, they just think they're like, they are almost limitless in what they can do. It just requires a bit of creativity to think about it. And uh, it's funny because, so one of our good friends, Tony, he he works at Sainsbury's and he was saying that, uh, so this, I mean, I've worked at Sainsbury's as well. So have you, it's kind of this like weird Sainsbury's court going on. But there was a time when I worked there that you couldn't have a phone on your possession like that was considered like a bad no. thing no you, you weren't allowed no you'd got into serious trouble if you had your phone out yeah but it's changed now in that they actually use their phone as a tool to be able to locate where certain products are in the shop should somebody ask so it's an app they've got an app that they go oh yeah where do you want fucking tuna chunks it's like, oh that's aisle seven halfway down middle shelf and it will tell them that and i'm like in my head, I'm thinking, okay, so right, they're finally caught up to the good times of like, you know, using technology as a as a tool. I wish I had that when I was there as well, because you, when people come up to me and ask for stuff, for somebody that worked on the checkouts, like, I, mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where Same. it is. And then hopeless. I'd go on some, yeah, go on a hopeless search going, well, I think it should be like aisle 11, but logically it'd be aisle 11, but it turns out actually, no, it's aisle six for whatever fucking reason. Yeah, all the way back down the store while the customer's like aimlessly following you. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. The that's, the thing. that's the thing when you when you're going on this hunt with the with the customer and like you're having to go to another, you're having to go to a colleague. Well, the, the customers are like, like they're like you're they're almost being taken on an adventure. Yeah, yeah, around yeah. the store. And there's like a slight bit of pressure, and I guess now that's removed by them in, in, introducing some sort of like noddy technology to tell them where it is. But yeah, I thought that was quite interesting, and like. It is just kind of a halfway house solution in my eyes of, well, you know, yes, you've gone to the physical store, so VR is not important. But should you want to browse the store 
from the comfort of your own home, VR, just like that's it. And then you can order online, like brilliant. And if you wanted some bullshit of the people that you don't really actually care about, but you wanted it there for atmosphere, just plunk them in the plunk them in the VR world. Like, do it if you if you want to recreate. What if it was? What if it was other people? What if you were in the metaverse? And that uh, that would be some novelty bullshit, right? And like, yeah, it uh, would be <laughs> because there'd be no point to it. Would there? No, and you think like Sainsbury would have to like build some sort of like online server whereby people would be able to like connect all to the same server and like it would have to do like location of where they are and all that other crap that is involved with sort of like online gaming. Not a value add one bit. No, no, not at all. Just, uh, and yeah, and like, I guess like I've kind of jumped straight into like a real world um, thing that I'm excited about with VR, but actually it kind of stems from gaming. And I feel for me, gaming has got a little bit flat recently. It's It's more the same stuff. I mean, you have like Warzone now, which is, it's been a full year just over a full year and it doesn't look like it's going to slow down and you have these like yearly releases of games now so call of duty is released like every year halos now coming back and there's like loads of repeated series and they're doing a free-to-play multiplayer as well with halo aren't they yeah yeah it's a bit odd yeah and it's just kind of tiresome and i think the only ones that don't get tired of are nintendo games that might be a bit of bias but like every time a zelda game comes out i'm like yeah boy but (laughs) It's just um, maybe the format is is getting a bit old and maybe I'm getting a bit older. So it's kind of dying a death on me a little bit and I, I need some innovation. And um... Well, I mean, the, the real innovation, the last innovation, I suppose the, the Switch to, to some element, but I think in terms of the way in which uh, games are played, the last innovation was probably the Wii. Like I'm not going to include Kinect or, or PlayStation Move because I don't think they really count. I think the Wii was the, was the one that really changed things, but... You know, it, it it made it so that it became like what the, the most the best selling console of its generation. But as well, it was quite limiting in in the types of experience, the types of games that it could have. I think there was the the lim- the limitation that the controller allowed, but then also the limitation of the hardware to be able mm. to create the experiences. Because uh, you know, I think it, it it didn't have it wasn't a particularly powerful machine, was it? No. Uh, but but now with virtual reality, I feel like virtual reality probably is the next kind of innovation that sort of changes the way that you play games yeah and i think at the moment it does suffer the same consequence that you know the we did have whereby it doesn't have the the, the power that um the general like the current generation of the consoles do have and they're kind of working through that at the moment whereby you can either connect it to your your pc or your your console um and you sort of get the same like frames per second and stuff like that but because the screen isn't ultimately like your 4k monitor or um you know your high hertz monitor or whatever you don't get that same sort of crispness to to the games because yeah. that vr headset is like right in front of your eyes which is like to me is like one of the big limitations at the moment and it's kind of like one of the bugbears in that like you are obliterating your eyes with like a screen mm. like three mm. inches away you know so um and that's kind of maybe where augmented reality takes the cake maybe depending on how well it, that's implemented with gaming um, but yeah, to me, it seems like it's a next step of, uh, of innovation in, in the gaming sphere. And, you know, it's been around for ages as well. It's kind of weird that like the trend has made it come back since like the eighties, nineties, when it was being yeah, talked the about. Virtual boy. I think it was the virtual boy was the Nintendo, uh, mm. uh, sort of virtual reality headset, but then it was Oculus, wasn't it? Which was a, which was a Kickstarter, which I'm pretty sure was sort of one of the first major Kickstarters. Uh, and they, you know, they came out with the Oculus Rift back in what i mean this has been 2012 i think yeah long long time ago and they you know they made some 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 big moves you know they uh you sort of had uh in in sort of the video games sort of the, the general sort of like the, the, the corporate side you had the guy called john carmack who worked for a company called id software and id software are like the most probably one of the most important companies in the history of video games because they made doom they made wolfenstein they made quake so they made like the first fps but then they also made like the first multiplayer fps as well mm, i remember uh, my lecture then, talking to me about that one and john carmack was there for like 20 years and was basically like the guy that built all of their technology and then he went to oculus and it caused a big okay. uh, it caused a big lawsuit between bethesda who owned software and oculus because apparently he stole ip and all, all of this stuff but then you had people move into valve to work on vr and valve partnering with i think it was htc 
yeah. I think originally they were, I think originally they were going to make their own VR headset. Is that the Vive? Yeah, was quite, they made the Vive, I think. Yeah, but then there was like there was quite a lot of people moving around to to create these VR experiences. But the the way I see it is that it's it's a really difficult situation. It's a bit of a chicken and egg situation because people aren't going to buy VR headsets until there are the games for it. But people aren't going to make the games for it until enough people have got VR headsets. And yeah. so you need a company that's got kind of got the balls and the conviction around the technology to really release the games for it. I mean, you know, Valve, I think, surprised everyone when they announced Half-Life Alex with for virtual reality because one, yeah. the first Valve game in what, like, nine years many many years yeah yeah i mean it's since been it's, mate it's been over 10 years since portal 2 came out yeah like that's uh, well, that that's was bad. the last release then before alex was it apart from like fucking i i apart from dota, dota if, you, 2, if, you, yeah. if you don't include dota and the i can't dino remember the name D-Day of it. or whatever it's called didn't they have one like that called dino d-day or something i'm i'm trying to think of the was it ancients is it ancients or something the the trading card game Oh, they got a trading card game, have they? Is that yeah, Do- they made is that no, artifact. Artifact. That's it. Artifact. They made artifact, which was like a uh, a Dota based trading card game. It was right, like a competitor okay. to to Hearthstone and uh, Gwent. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so then they made Half Life Alex, which I think was kind of seen as being one of the first seminal moments of VR gaming because it was the first time in which a, a, a big company, a really big company released a game exclusively a game built for virtual reality it wasn't a just a AAA game as well yeah. a triple a game and not just any triple a game the first half-life game in 13 years yeah yeah uh that's you know th- that that's big and i think as well i think what probably doesn't surprise people i think you know if, if you play a lot of games and, and and when we talk say play a lot of games like not just call of duty but you know you played a wide sort of you've got more of an eclectic taste you know Valve are one of the top developers. Mm. So they're always going to make good stuff. And I think Half-Life Alex kind of, if, if you wanted any company to make a game for virtual reality, it's going to be Valve because they're going to pull it off. And yeah. they did. Yeah. Because you're yet to play it, are you? I mean, I haven't played it. Because, but... uh, I mean, well, that's kind of one of the problems is I, I haven't played it yet because I've been priced out of it. And that's yeah. the straight up truth, you know? So um, it's coming a long way in that the Valve Index, their, their VR kit was at the time like one of the only ones that did like finger tracking and that's because it like wraps around your knuckles and can like sense your knuckles and alex um obviously incorporates that technology whereby you can move the fingers of alex and like grab guns and like grab a pen and draw on a window and stuff like that which i think is like there are a lot of things in alex that i've heard are trying to test the game uh the the functionality of vr within a game scenario so stuff like the novelty of like drawing on a on a window and i've seen a, f- a couple of funny uh videos online about that and then um as well like th- that was about 900 pounds i think it maybe still is around that price mark like the, the price hasn't really depreciated much um but it, it's kind of changing now in that so you have the oculus quest 2 which now has like pass-through cameras on the headset so there's two things that are really good about that in that the Valve Index, how you used to have like sensors, kind of like you would did, did with the Wii Remote. You had a sensor bar to, to obviously track the Wii Remote's movements. There was a similar thing whereby you had two um, sensors in the room that would sort of like give the spatial awareness of of the room and you proportionally to the room. Whereas the Oculus Quest Two, it now ha- it uses the camera to like map out the room around you instead. So it's like way less overhead in terms of hardware required. But then also with that camera. There's like two other things you can do. One is just like you don't have to take the headset off if you wanted to look around the room. It will just display it through the camera. And then the other one is that the cameras can actually, they're starting to like develop the software on top whereby the cameras can track your hand movement. And there are only a select few games at the moment where that, because you're allowed to use it in the menus, but it's not developed in games yet. But there will be a time now where the cameras are just tracking your fingers for you. And then that's going to be like full finger functionality in the games which to me is like super exciting because now we're talking like triggers and stuff like that um and my friend adam he's like huge on it he's been giving me all the lowdown and like there's a lot of stuff that you can do at the moment which is like buying um like guns with stocks and stuff like that like extra attachments for the oculus uh remotes which i guess you know was the same as um the wii as well i think they had a a, a good attachment a, yeah like a little zapper i think it's got the zapper or something yeah. yeah yeah and then um What's the, what's the, is it PlayStation Move? The one with the, the weird orb balls on the end? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 
That's yeah. The, yeah. So the 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 develop the development is there as well, and you know, and the, and the innovation is now continuing to slowly, slowly get better and better. But you are right in that Alex is still the only game that is kind of like AAA in my eyes. That is like true VR experience. And, and what I find interesting about that is is that it's not by Facebook. Like really, the the technology has needed somebody. Like mm. VR has needed uh, Facebook or, or Valve to really push it forward. Like you need a company with a considerable amount of resource to be able to push it forward. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that Facebook has, has kind of been focused more on is the unit economics and actually bringing the price down of virtual reality. Because I think, I think it's fair to say that you know, people were quite priced out of virtual reality a few years ago. But now with the Quest 2, I think that's quite reasonable. I mean, it's like, what, 300 quid? Yeah, it's like three, 400 pound now. Yeah. Which which actually sounds expensive. But when you think about prices... iPhone. Several years ago. Yeah, yeah. And you compare it to the iPhone, which is like a grand. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I just, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens when, because I think Sony, Sony have got their own VR headset as well, but they've not done anything really significant with it. No. But they've got, you know, they've got some quality game developers who could build stuff for it. But the question is, is does does VR work when it's a bolt-on? So I think with, with Half-Life Alex, part of its success has come from the fact that it is an experience built for virtual reality. Yeah, and and you you can't play it without VR. Mm-hmm. You you wonder like if for for these other companies, a company like Sony, economically it it doesn't work out for them to be making games that are just for the the PlayStation VR. Yeah, and I guess in my eyes, you're kind of hoping for that shift to change in the future years to come. In that the idea of a traditional controller is just going to cease to exist because VR is so good that it's almost like yeah. wow this enhances our game experience no end. And we can't understand why people would still persist in using the controller. But that's not to say that, you know, Sony and PlayStation 5, like they are innovating the controller as much as they like they can with like haptic feedback and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, they also want to make sure they're still selling tellers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they've got loads of businesses, haven't they? Yeah. They're still doing audio as well, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I so... think if it's anything that's consumer electronics, then Sony have got some product within... The category within consumer electronics yeah yeah so it's, yeah it's, to me it's really exciting I'm, I'm really excited in the next decade to see to see the innovation and there are some hurdles like omnidirectional treadmills so that you can run in any direction and Those you know you look stupid yeah they're crazy aren't they and like you could have a, like a legit games room in your garage or something like that and then that then has like a lot of like health implications for you know people that are obese and just twitch streaming yeah they, like, are, they are quite quite good yeah, you know, so there is there is some real positives coming from that experience. The, uh, there are then probably some negative experiences in that your addiction to these simulations and stuff probably is going to exist, should they get yeah. better. Why should I live in the real world when I can live in the virtual world? Yeah, and, and that's kind of why I'm trying to keep to games because we always bang on about the metaverse. But then like VR is another thing that that would enable and it would become seamless, but... Yeah, I'm thinking short term, next five, 10 years, VR gaming for me is like really exciting. So how do you see augmented reality fitting into this? I see, I kind of see that away from gaming, actually, and more about um, enhancing the real world, because that's kind of what it is anyway, isn't it? Augmented reality, it's it's blending the the real physical world and sort of enriching that world with more information, I guess. Um, So... The only things I've seen are kind of like novelty stuff like Google Maps, whereby I'm walking past a restaurant and then it'll have like the Google review rating or something pop out, out of it. And Have you not seen the, the Google Glass, the, the Google Glass video from years ago, like back like 10 years ago when they first announced it and how that all worked? Like with the, uh, was um, it like, where it was you... like, okay, Google. And could you see what other people were like listening to, to and stuff like that? No, it was... Um, It'd be given like directions. So you had like augmented reality directions, but then you're able to like take photos with it, which caused like a lot of privacy concerns. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, you're able to like send messages to people through the, through it, which I I still think is kind of weird. Like, I still think it's weird when people just go like, I don't know, like talk to Siri, Mm -hmm. like outside or whatever. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, that was that was like what seven seven eight years ago. I mean, the Google Glass didn't reach consumers in the end because they they didn't look cool. Yeah, and, and there was a guy that so it was famous. There was a guy called Robert Scoble who was kind of like he was called a glass hole, and he he's like like one of these sort of tech evangelists, and he took a photo of himself in the shower wearing the Google Glass, and people just and this is like quite a like an overweight. 50 year old bloke mm. and it like in the shower like he was almost there saying like oh yeah i don't take my uh privacy your glass off forever or whatever okay okay and and people are just like ew and i think that caused them big problems mm. uh, that that photo circulating so now google glass is is that you still sell it but i think it's only sold to enterprise to businesses so that they can build sort of internal software solutions for Google Glass. But even then, I don't know what the general uptake on it is. And then the other problem is it's Google. So they cancel their projects willy-nilly. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm less excited about AR personally, um, just because A, I don't wear glasses. So <laughs> that's going to be a, a big adjustment for me. And B, I don't, the, I don't, the I don't Google feel the need glass, to enhance it. The Google Glass, what, was it glasses? How did that work then? So it was like a little piece of glass. Oh, you were like what, Vegeta, or somebody yeah, from like Naruto. Yeah, it was like, you were like Vegeta. Like there was actually like it was it was it was like like imagine glasses. Yeah, you had that, and then you sort of had like slight kind of like a frame, but it was just like a little piece of glass like that, All like right. a small, must be no bigger than an inch, and that's what was the screen, and so that's why like the Google Glass would only appear sort of in the top right corner of your right eye, mm. so it wouldn't take up the entire thing and then the ui was just delivered through like cards it was like a card-based ui and so yeah you you wouldn't you wouldn't get it for like the, the rest mm. um, but i know that i think facebook are working on ar uh they're working on ar and they've partnered with the ray-ban i think it is to to build something and then you've got the you've got you know i'm, I'm personally convinced that we'll see apple will release something in or release some sort of augmented reality technology soon yeah, because we were looking at the um, Apple Watch and the new like accessibility movements that they they're sort of working on to control. Yeah, the, Apple Watch. the way you can yeah the way you can control the Apple Watch using your using your hand. But then as well, um, it's all of the augmented reality stuff as well. So you've got the AR kit, so people are able to start building augmented reality experiences using AR. So uh, you could see what your living room would look like with a certain piece of IKEA furniture, but seeing that through a what five point two inch screen isn't that good, mm-hmm. but if you've got it like in glasses, so it looks real, and it's like you know almost to, to scale. Got perception that, that and seems stuff. A lot yeah, 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 yeah. So it seems to me like they're already building all of the that they're already releasing the developer tools to get the applications to get the experiences already made. So that way, when they eventually launch proper with the AR technology, there will be quite a few applications that already support it. Yeah, and. Um you were talking about sort of uh, innovation of VR and, and I guess developer tools is important for mass adoption, isn't it? Yeah. I think that there was some stuff that I'd read with the Quest 2 or just Oculus technology in general is that people mod games anyway, like they have done for years, but like people were modding like the Oculus Quest 2 with like those kind of, kind of like experimental innovations. And, th- th- you know, there's no, I don't know how legal that is and I don't know if it's true open source, but you can't help but think that that like if if an innovation was so good like oculus wouldn't deny it they would go oh this is a pretty good yeah, yeah. you'd want people to be able to play around and create different types of experiences with the with virtual reality i mean i i, I look forward to seeing sort of the first true kind of horror game made for for vr but i think that could be that could be something that is really bad for vr as well yeah because um like you've had a walking dead game uh resident evils vr but i've I've played the resident evil one and like the the thing that really removes the experience is the like the heavy pixelation and like the real bad textures and that is just the limitation of the graphical or like the resolution of the screen but you're right in that <laughs> it's kind of like that black mirror episode have you seen it where he go he's like he's he's testing a game but he gets injected with some some serin and like the the whole episode is basically he's like in this haunted house and the the game is injected into him 
and it and it basically works on his own fears, like his own. Like, Is this worst the one fear. where spoiler alert? It turns out he's like dead, like he died within seconds. Yeah, because like they say, like in a dream state, uh, more time like passes in your dream state than actually what does in real life. And I think yeah, they were playing playing on that. Five, 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. So he'd been like at this haunted house for days, but he'd in real world just like died within ten seconds. Uh, yeah, and that was kind of like the bleak end of it all. But like stuff like that anyway, where as you'd expect from Black Mirror. Yeah, yeah, classic Charlie Brooker. But the yeah, playing on like something that seems so real would then heighten um, the fear. But like that's, I guess that's in any emotion, isn't it? Something that seems real triggers must trigger emotions like, in a far greater way. Um, so that's kind of is that why people get vertigo when they're playing because they think that they're actually really high up or it, or their brain is believing that they are walking on the plank. brain. Yeah. The brain will be thinking that because mm. it's it's to do with the way I think it's something to do with the the way your senses communicate to your brain and what your brain's perception is versus what your senses perception is and there's some sort of disconnect. At least I know that's what tends to trigger like motion sickness. Mm-hmm. It's got something to do with your ears. And like your ears thinking that you're going one way, your brain thinking oh, you're going the other. The fluid and in the ears. And then yeah. that's what causes you to, um, that's what then causes you to, to vomit. Mm. But I don't, I don't know what it is that triggers vertigo, but, but typically what it is, it's kind of like a, an overwhelm of, uh, of information that where you've got some, some part of the body is, is picking up one signal. Your brain's sort of saying, actually, no, it's this instead. And then it, it causes, it, it, there's just this disconnect. Mm. And that to me is kind of powerful in that you've seen videos of maybe like people in their living rooms, like actually trying to like jump off this. I think one of the games is like a, is like an experimental game where you have to walk a plank on top of a skyscraper and like, you see this like bald dad, just like proper, like jump into the TV and like actually like jump. And that, that to me is, is interesting because you'd argue that the VR at the moment is quite primitive. So for people to be tricked at this, at this point in the, technology cycle is kind of like scary as to like well what would happen in 10 years time when the vr technology gets even better um and that to me is why it's exciting more exciting than ar in that ar there's no way that's happening like it is just an enhancement of real life yeah which it's not going to create new experiences it's just going to enrich existing experiences yeah yeah so it's still pretty boring i guess if you're at work like it's not ar is not going to make your life any more interesting it'll probably be a seamless adoption similar to having a a smartphone is now it's just a second it's a thing you don't think about is it so i think it would just be another one of them tools where you'll just not think about it and it'll it'll be the normal life but i feel like vr will be that that different realm where it will still every time you jump into it you'll think fucking hell this is crazy I yeah. don't feel like you'll get normalized to it. But yeah, so that's kind of me and that's what I'm most excited about. But uh, what about you? So mine is uh, not as exciting as virtual reality. Uh, mine is uh, it's APIs, which <laughs> says, says nowhere near exciting is what we were what we were discussing. But I think it, it opens up a lot of opportunity towards creating the kind of future that we we as sort of humanity have, have kind of envisaged. Um, I can't remember if it was on this, podcast or if it was just in conversation with you where i was giving an example of like the the badminton uh the badminton thing of where like i've got a friend who uh wants to play badminton with me and i've got like a uh, i've got like a calendar link so i can send like my availability through the calendar and people can like book time with me <laughs> through, through that like just being quite anal about time yeah and stuff. yeah it, it, it saves time in, in in rather than going oh you're available at five o'clock or well, i'm not available at five o'clock i'm available at this time so i will actually just look at my calendar just pick a time that's free because i'm anal about having my personal calendar synced to what i'm doing in real life so mm. but it'd be like okay right we're both available at five or whatever and then it's like okay now we'll go to book a badminton book a badminton court oh no actually there aren't any badminton courts available so it's just just pain in the ass but what i'd love is where the calendar is able to sync my times against all of the available badminton courts through some sort of API. So that way, the times that it shows are the times in which there are badminton courts available. And then when the time is booked, it then books the court. That's what I want. I want basically everyone to just create a fucking API. So that way, I can build something that connects into those APIs and then I can make my life a heck of a lot easier. 
Yeah, it sounds like you're just like really trying to kill friction or like unnecessary friction. And like it, it sounds like the example you gave was quite a small amount of friction. But I imagine that in certain contexts, it's actually like would reduce a lot of friction and a lot of time. And like you, um, I'm yet to read it, but you sent me one, an article called Laura's Code. And that sounds like it would be API driven, right? And that's kind of like dealing with petty crime in court. Yeah, so that that was a suggestion where by having APIs, you could, for, for, for smaller crimes, the it's, it's an article written on on Future, the, the new sort of website from Andrews and Horowitz. And they the guy was sort of talking about this this idea where people are people don't go to court to to the people because like sue landlords or whatever because they don't have the time or they haven't got the money mm-hmm. and his suggestion is that the fact that actually an api could reduce that so what happens is is you claim that you if you have a claim where you say well i, I haven't i had uh, i paid a security deposit but actually i haven't had the security deposit refunded to me then the the system you you launch you launch a request through an online system and then the landlord is able to open up a basically connect some sort of financial API to their business account and the business account can then reflect whether the security deposit was paid to the to the former tenant and if it wasn't paid to the former tenant then that automatically triggers a process that where the court rules in favour of the former tenant but if they did then it rules in favour of the landlord and perhaps as a penalty to the, the to the former tenant for potentially you know being um, you know misleading misleading the court so that's an example of where you can put in apis to actually re- produce friction because uh, from for both the 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 tenant for the landlord and also for the 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 legal system yeah. but but also you're creating a system that makes society a bit fairer as well because now the people the smaller person who may not have the time or the resources to be able to launch a legal case against a former landlord they can do because it's just through the, the click of a button. Yeah. And that is a, a really big impact across like many different people as well. That's kind of what's most impressive to me. Like, I guess maybe your it makes your badminton idea seem a little bit inconsequential nowadays, but I think, um, no, I, I know, no, I know it's important never. to you, <laughs> never. but like, damn, like that's, that's one example of like, if you, if we sat here and really thought about it for a long time, I'm sure we could come up with many, many examples whereby a lot of time would be saved. And then ultimately a lot of money as well, probably for relevant parties involved. But, 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 but. I'm not sure if you, you won't be able to see it because of the camera angle, but the way my body language is now is I'm really frustrated. Arms crossed. About, about the way you've made my badminton situation. Uh, so. <laughs> so, so APIs do... book re- a badminton game without any friction. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <all>. <laughs> for sake. So APIs require software engineers and software engineers require money. So are you envisaging a time where maybe APIs can be built with like no code or something like that? Yeah, I mean, you've got Swagger specifications. So you've got a technology called Swagger that allows you to define APIs, but it doesn't actually build it for you. So I can imagine that you get into the position where you use something like Swagger or OpenAPI to design the API and then these no-code tools can then connect to it, mm. or you just create general kind of standards for for the sort of for businesses. So if you've got a, a sports facility or something, so you've got a gym that has badminton courts or squash courts, or whatever, then they all comply to a specific API standard, which says you know you have check availability, book, cancel, and they all subscribe to that. They all follow that same way of handling the API and the same way of of calling the API. So that way you don't have to then build specific people that are building the tools to interact. Don't need to, uh, don't need to to build custom things for say pure gym against David Lloyd or or whatever. They can all just follow the same one, no matter who the, uh, the vendor is. Yeah, it's a good point. I think, um, I'm trying to think of like, what do all businesses have or what should they all have? And it's a website. Because, you know, if you look at something on Google Maps now and it doesn't have the little website icon, you think, oh, for fuck's sake, like, how the hell do I book <laughs> to this place? Yeah, yeah. I had, uh, the, the, the place that I went on Thursday, I actually had to book that over the phone. Yeah, yeah. And it's a problem nowadays, I think. So it sounds like, obviously, there's like Squarespace, Bluehost, and all this other, these are the sort of platforms that allow you to create websites with ease. Is that kind of what you're talking about in terms of 
platforms that allow you to like potentially build like very samey APIs. Like they're not going to differ between these types of businesses where they they just want to have a booking system driven, like API driven. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It, preferably, what would happen is it would be embedded within the booking system. So mm. rather than it being a separate system itself, it would be part of the booking system. So you would procure a if you're a restaurant, you would you know use OpenTable for your uh, for your bookings, but by using a booking table and being able to have the graphical user interface way of booking on your website, it also made an API available that people could could use to to interact. And you just, I mean, I don't know what your identifier be. Your identifier might be your, you know, there might be just be an ID for for that particular restaurant that people then call. So it would go to say api.opentable.com forward slash the the restaurant ID forward slash book or, or something. Yeah. Um, and then they could they could work it could work through that way. But then my other thought was that uh, we end up in this symbiosis of AI and API, where an artificial intelligence is able to kind of understand. Because if you think about it, an API is is written as code, so an AI could potentially understand the way the API functions and can then just automatically interface with it by understanding the way it, it's it's written. Mm-hmm. Because you've got things like because. One of the things that I was saying, like Swagger, that comes with when you create the API, and when it, it sort of creates the APIs like boilerplate. You, an, an AI could potentially read that and begin to understand. Well, what are the context around the parameters that need to go in? What what what's the context around the 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 result that I'm expecting? And then construct a request for that API uh, using that. So you might say a uh, book. You might say to the artificial intelligence, book a badminton game for uh, seven thirty on Thursday. And the API only accepts the date, the time, and the activity. Mm. And the AI is able to understand, okay, it wants an activity, it wants a date, and it wants a time. And it can go, well, the activity, the AI understands, or badminton is an activity because of the way that I said it. Thursday is this date from when was the, when, when did the person ask it? Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say Thursday if I actually mean Thursday in two weeks time. And then uh, if I say 730 then it knows I mean 7.30 and it's able to make the request against the API uh, using that. So that's that's where I sort of really want it to end up going, where you've got this thing where an artificial intelligence is able to understand how to communicate to the API and robots. And basically the idea of robots just being able to talk to one another on our behalf. Yeah, it's like full-scale autonomy, isn't it, really? Yeah, and and that's the way I, I see it, like, of just that being the vision of of sort of robotics and software and artificial intelligence like i feel like when we talk about when people talk about artificial intelligence i kind of feel like that's what they're thinking of yeah where you you can say book me this and the ai just goes off and does it for you yeah because we spoke about you know adoption for vr and it sounds like in my head like the whole api driven interface thing wouldn't be adopted on its own but maybe packaged with that sort of ai idea that you've got is that is the catalyst for sort of mass adoption and it needs to be packaged with some sort of like new groundbreaking technology, you know, rather than just people saying, Hey, we're just doing API driven. That's the way I would see it. Like it, it needs to almost feel like the next generation. It needs to be packaged as like a release and start being adopted on mass in that way. I think it needs to be, it, it needs to be done in a, in a, like a, an ISO way. So the, you have the, you know, the ISO, like ISO 27001 and oh, yeah, yeah. the sort of international standards. Like you would almost need an, an ISO for APIs and API definition. So you have a bit like an, a bit like an ERC token in Ethereum, which says that, that you know, if you want to make an ERC20 token, so if this is if you wanted to build like a coin on, um, on the Ethereum blockchain, then it's got a basic user thing called ERC, which is like a pattern for, how the coins need to be constructed smart contracts so in this way the way i see it's like if you're a restaurant and you want to have a restaurant api you've got to like conform to all of these particular api calls and Mm -hmm. so you've got to have like booking you've got to have like availability you've got to have you know x y and z like menu so somebody can even just get the menu uh that kind of thing so um, so is that accreditation alone enough for adoption though or is that just a a way to legitimize a business that is using api driven technology well i think once you've got a standard defined i think then it makes it a lot easier for vendors to start building the 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 b2b vendors to 
to be able to start building the technology to sell to the restaurant businesses. Okay. Yeah. So the restaurants themselves wouldn't wouldn't build the technology. I, I can't imagine because no. they just want to you know it's sell not their food. Sector is it? Yeah. No, exactly. But that way now suddenly, uh, I mean, I don't know who else there is. You've got you've got Open Table. But I'm trying design to design my night. Yeah, there's design my night in the UK, isn't there? I mean, I don't know if they're in America, but similar, you know, very similar in what they do. And they would just conform to the ISO standards. So that way there's like the freedom of choice for a, a restaurant because now actually they can move between vendors without the risk of it actually damaging their operation either mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they've got to conform to the ISO standard for how a, res- a restaurant API has to, has to work. And then that way the people are then building the technology, like the AI technology or whatever, once you've got the ISO standards in place, then the AI is able to much easier understand because they know how all of the ISO uh, restaurant APIs get called. Yeah, yeah. I think, to be honest, that's kind of like one piece of the puzzle. I think that there's a lot more that would need to be done for mass adoption. And I'm thinking like... Demand. What, yeah, what, what, yeah, exactly. So when I'm... Not, when just, I'm not just me moaning about badminton. Yeah. <laughs> and well, the demand could... No, because... Demand sometimes comes afterwards, after after a company makes people realize that this is what you need in your life. You know, like that's kind of the way like next gen innovation happens is that companies just go, hey, we developed this, like we think you guys should use it. And that's like the marketing process until people actually go, oh, you know what, these guys are actually right, like this is sick. And I'm, I'm thinking there needs to be some sort of reform on either like an iOS release whereby Apple's calendar app is given a lot of attention and a lot more updates to make it readily available for this sort of stuff and almost act as like promotion to start living that way rather than just you get an email oh do you want to make an iCal thing in your calendar for this event that's not enough like you need to start promoting more autonomy in your in your calendar app and how people achieve that because ultimately there's a lack of education for like mass consumer that they, they can do this and you can set up a calendar that people can... I uh, have no respect it. for people that use the default calendar app. Zero <laughs> respect. I have a specific calendar app that I use. This is your one of your, one of many subscriptions, right? Yeah, Fantastico. Yeah. I like it because Question I, can, I can just write, I can just write, do this at 6pm on Wednesday and it understands everything at this place and it just fills out all of the thing for me and I don't Wait. need to... When you click on your iCloud account and go to subscriptions on your phone, do you have to scroll? No, because uh, I don't think... Have I got my phone with me? Oh, yeah, I do. Let's see. Bear in mind that some subscriptions aren't managed through in-app purchases, some of them directly with the companies. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But yeah, I can can have a look. Uh, (laughs) So I have a lot lot of subscriptions. Like I, I subscribe to a lot, like... And okay, and then I guess whilst you're doing that, so what does that calendar app give you? I do, I do have to scroll. Yeah. Oh no. Oh wait, apparently I've got a subscription to Apple TV Plus, or I'm cancelling that. Hey. Yeah. Oh wait, if you cancel, you'll immediately lose access. Oh no, I don't. I don't want to do that. I'll just have to you set up my calendar. Yeah. 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 That's it. Or, or or perhaps you could have just set a trigger point in your calendar to say, imagine, at this point, imagine. cancel the subscription for me. I wonder if that, if I can do that in like shortcuts or something, because that's, that's what I like. Like I want people to build things like shortcuts, but for, but it's like API driven and you don't have to do it just specifically in the shortcuts app. It's, it's platform agnostic and then you can build tools that communicate with them. Yeah. You kind of touching upon like modularity, you know, so in my day job, do a bit of Ansible coding, which is like configuration management and a lot of that is obviously reused because people have the same use cases like, oh, I want to configure a, a machine to be like ready for a developer to use and stuff like that. And like, it's because of the repetitive nature of everyone's jobs in different scenarios. It's the same thing in that everyone's day-to-day lives are more or less the same, or there are going to be pockets of people which share the same interests and therefore need to have the same sort of shortcuts in their life. To be yeah, configured. everyone's going to want to book badminton with their mates really easily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, correct. <laughs> so you, I can almost see that you would have some sort of like hub whereby people are sharing their best shortcuts, or like yeah, you can you can do that with iOS. Like can you, you can. I think I'm pretty sure there's like a 
gallery that has like popular shortcuts but now when shortcuts comes to the mac they're making it so that you can like embed they're, they're creating like um like html like little html scripts mm. to to embed on your website so that you can sort of show off like a shortcut and then people can click it and it downloads that shortcut so they're, they're, they're doing it to make it you know more uh more shareable for for shortcuts but the uh the only thing is is that it's um it's not platform agnostic it only works with with ios which well with ios and mac which really everyone should be using anyway but people not not everyone is so. <laughs> yeah you you do need that agnostic layer and that is always tricky to achieve you know I'm, I'm thinking again in my day job um like cloud cloud apis so aws azure um there's a there's a few others um gcp like they do all have their own apis and and they're meant to be interacted with in like their own way and there's their own documentation but there is actually another layer whereby i think it's like a java cloud api where you can interact with these multiple cloud platforms the cloud providers and you're actually using sort of the same code to produce uh, different resources in the different cloud environments so it's kind of like an abstraction layer on top of those different API layers. And, and maybe there, there would be something similar in the future whereby there will be proprietary APIs, but somebody will just go, nope, fuck that. We need some 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 layer on top, which is agnostic of like all platforms. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's what that's what it will come down to. It'll come down to 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 platform agnostic agnosticity or agnosticism. I don't think I, that was a word that I just said. Ah, sounds good, mate. We should we should go to Oxford Dictionary and add it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> say it enough, say it enough times. But yeah, I mean, that, but that's where like the that's why I kind of want the, the ISO or somebody to to step in and start creating these these standards. You need validation of the idea, I suppose. Yeah. That's yeah. Kind of I mean, obviously, I want I want idea validation because I want I want you know in the next five you want to book years, I, want, I want I want it to be a I want it to be a fucking reality. That's what I want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where i can just very easily book badminton yeah i mean what i should be looking at so i mean sometimes it's hidden apis where they i'm not sure if you've ever seen where people are like able to reverse engineer apis so that they can uh there's like one there's like one guy who was able to like reverse engineer like a mcdonald's api that basically told that could tell you like whether the mcflurry machines were working in in the us were like yeah were they working or not <laughs> and there was one there was one that was able to where it was like the IKEA uh, stock, like it was like IKEA stock API, so that you oh, could yeah. determine whether uh, something was in stock at IKEA. That's and that was like a hid- bad. And IKEA that was like a hidden, yeah. And that was like a hidden, a hidden API. Mm. So you've got you've got these people that are able to 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 find these things, um, and that's how a lot of the old like before the the, the second payment services directive in the UK um, in the EU, which mandated that banks create APIs. Uh, you know, you had some of these kinds of tools that were able to aggregate bank accounts and they were able to sort of reverse engineer uh, API, uh, reverse engineer the bank's APIs. So that's interesting. I didn't know that there was like a mandated API driven thing for banks. Yeah. So in the, in it's, it's the, uh, it was a European Union thing that came out a couple of years ago. Hmm. Uh, I, I, to be honest, I think most banks have done the bare minimum. Uh, okay. Because yeah. that's just, you know, that's how... You, know, you can't blame them. That's how you respond to regulation. You do the bare minimum to make yourself compliant. But yeah, the it, it was it was it was mandated that they uh, that they offer that kind of thing because it, the argument was was that these aggregate these aggregation tools are becoming popular. You may as well build a secure way for them to integrate rather than uh, them having to reverse engineer your APIs. So yeah. it's just almost like a consumer uh, protection kind of thing. Yeah. Now you mention it, I think. Um... Beth was on about something like that, where there's an app called Numbers, and it's to do with some sort of open banking API-driven thing, whereby anyway, it, it can sort of like aggregate your different accounts into this Numbers app, and it's like a budgeting app. Um, yeah, you've got quite a, quite a few of them. I mean, there's there's Emma a company well, there's, there's a company called uh, True Layer, which act as like the layer in between the APIs and the and the banks. So I've, I've said that they're the company. If they were ever to be public or if there was ever way, any way in which I can invest in them, I would make an investment in them. Mm-hmm. Because I've, I've got an app called Plum where what that does is uh, you authorize it access to your current account through TrueLayer. 
Yeah. So you go in, Trulay then connects to Monzo, connects to whichever bank you're with, and then Plum basically is able to get your balance. It then goes through your spending and then is able to uh, use the, the power of artificial intelligence to kind of predict how much money it should save for you. So then it, and then it will save you like a, a certain amount every few days. So it might save you like, if you've got a high balance, if you've got like several thousand pounds in, in your current account, which you'd be stupid to have that much money in your current account. But if you did, then it would save like maybe 90 to a hundred pounds. But if you've got like 200, then it will save like six or seven pounds or so. Mm. Uh, and, and depending upon like how close you were to payday and all that kind of stuff, like uh, it's quite clever, but it does that through, through an API. So yeah, I think the the topic of APIs is quite boring. I think on the surface, but I think when you begin to dig down to the potential that they offer, there is quite a lot of interesting things that, that you can do with them. And and as well, I think they also democratize the the, the building as well. So yeah, anyone can connect to an API. Anyone can can build stuff that, that connects to them, uh, and that's also what's um, what excites me about it. Because then you know, rather than having to to buy an app to do it. I could just read documentation and try and, and potentially fail, probably fail at building it myself. <laughs> I'll, get halfway, I'll get halfway done. Get halfway done. And then, <laughs> yeah. And move so on what to would happen else. if I completed that? <laughs> it's um no, it's interesting. I'm 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 glad you raised it actually because it is a bit of a a weird one to to have said what excites you the most. But to be honest, it does serve to benefit a lot of people not just yourself with badminton i mean we've spoke about a lot <laughs> but <laughs> you know there's um it's, it's really yeah. really interesting point yeah I think, you know, I, you've got the way of uh automate almost automating part of the legal process but the thing that i care most about is just being able to make it frictionless to book badminton yeah yeah forget, I mean, forget about forget about all the social injustice that solves it, it's able to to make badminton booking easy yeah, yeah. And I suppose like, t- talking about Plum, I think uh, we've kind of talked about maybe having Beth on for an episode and she can go further into it. But that is an example of raising awareness of when an app is using sort of like a, a bunch of APIs to aggregate data into one place. And like maybe people, when they when they use the app, don't realize that is actually what is going on. And yeah, th- that's kind of like we should be stressing or promoting the importance of APIs for the future. Yeah, because they they give you the security as well. Yeah, yeah. So they they tend and they tend to have yeah they tend to have things built in that prevents like built in security features into them to to make it so that malicious actors can't access or or can't take advantage of the API. Mm. Solid. Well, I mean, I guess we should uh, go back to this one in a, a few months' time and see if um, our opinions have changed or if we have uh, any others that we're interested in. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening and stay stay tuned. tuned. Thanks for listening to this episode of Future Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode, DM us on Twitter. I'm at BT Kluska. And I'm at Harry Moy. Everything we've discussed in this episode is linked in the show notes. See you next week.